and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians as we begin a new sermon series tonight. Uh, we move from the Old Testament and Daniel to the New Testament and Paul. Uh, we, uh, we're not entirely sure how many letters Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. Uh, we have two letters. Uh, scholars are divided on how many there were ultimately because in these two, Paul makes reference to other letters. And uh, at most, it appears as though there may have been four letters. There were uh, almost certainly at least three. And so we, uh, we have this Second Corinthians. Uh, Paul has been corresponding with the church at Corinth. It's not been happy correspondence. The church at Corinth is, uh, is a bit of a mess. And it, Paul uh, had intended to travel to see them but had thought better of it under the circumstances. He's going to address that in this letter, why it was that he told them he was coming and then didn't come. Uh, there's a, a, a theme that runs through this letter of affliction and comfort, uh, these twin themes. And right out of the gate, Paul is going to put us, the reader, on notice that this is what he's focused on. A lot of the letter is going to be caught up with Paul defending his ministry, uh, which has been challenged in the church in Corinth. And uh, we're going to see the importance of, uh, of recognizing the place of God's call in Paul's life. Tonight, uh, as I read in a minute, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. And these two themes of affliction and comfort take up the entire section here in these two verses. And so let me read, and then we will begin to unpack Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of Paul, uh, for his willingness to suffer. Uh, for the way that his suffering led to the comfort of your people, and in turn, how they comforted Paul. Father, we thank you that this is how you have designed your church, and we pray that we would come to a right understanding of this, that as we suffer affliction, as we are comforted, we would in turn comfort one another and embolden one another to suffer more affliction, if that is what you have called us to. Father, we pray uh, that we would live rightly in the world for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. 
You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each verse is just uh, is like a hammer blow of, of some new truth that Paul is expressing, and he does it in a way that feels very circular. He just keeps hitting the point and coming back and moving to the next, but coming back to the previous, and then back to the, the one before that. Uh, all of it circling here, uh, it, it sounds very repetitious, all of the, the references to affliction and comfort, and yet Paul is, is with each reference to affliction and comfort, revealing some new truth about God. He begins by telling us that this is the very character and nature of God, that He is the God of all comfort in verse 3. This uh, verse 3 is a fairly typical uh, Hebrew form of blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it about this God and Father that Paul wants us to particularly focus on as he continues to write, it is that he is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see the the, the rebounding effect here? God comforts us. God, who comforts us in all our affliction? But he doesn't stop there. Paul's point isn't simply that there is a source of comfort for us in our affliction, and that source is God. In fact, all comfort that we might know or experience comes from God. But he continues, look at what he says, so that. Why is it that God is a God of comfort to us? It is so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And lest we we fall into the the trap of thinking about this comfort merely psychologically, uh, that is, that if I am comforted by God, I myself am in a place of rest, in a place of confidence, and therefore I am now able to comfort, Paul corrects that misperception. It's not merely that God has comforted us, therefore we are now able to comfort, but the comfort we receive from God, it is that very comfort that we are to use to comfort those around us. He says, God who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul is going to dance around this all the way through these verses. He never quite comes out and says it explicitly. But the comfort that God gives us that we are then in turn to give to others is the comfort of the gospel. The truth of who God is and what God is doing in the world, what He has done in His Son, Jesus Christ. What that Son, Jesus Christ, is doing now, interceding for us, this is the source of our comfort. The truth that this Jesus Christ is coming again, and that the way that we suffer now is not forever. It's been ordained by God to serve a purpose, and it has an end. This is the comfort that God gives to us and that we are to give to others. Paul goes on in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The, the way Paul has structured this sentence 
He intends us to understand that no matter how severe your affliction is, no matter how severe your affliction seems, no matter how tempted you are to fall into despair because the the hammer blows of suffering just keep falling on you, and it seems as though there is no respite, there is no escape, there's no, no opportunity even to draw breath before once again suffering has hit. Paul says, listen, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how abundant your affliction is, the comfort that is held out to us by God is as abundant. Whatever is needed in order to meet our need in the moment of our affliction, that comfort is ours in Christ. In verse 6, he moves on, continuing to talk about affliction and comfort. But now he's going to, to move into the, the next logical consequence of this reality. Verse 6, uh, and this seems like a paradox. He's going to just circle and swirl. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, Paul says. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. How could it possibly be that Paul's affliction is for their comfort and salvation? It, we have to, to pause long enough to consider why Paul's being afflicted, and it's because Paul is sharing the gospel. In sharing the gospel and going throughout uh, the, the uh, Mediterranean world at the time and sharing the gospel, Paul is suffering. And you can go back into the book of Acts and you can read about all the instances. There's one point in Paul's writings where he says, listen, I have been left for dead, stoned, kicked out. Uh, everything has been done to me. I've suffered all kinds of things for the sake of the gospel. Here, Paul's not so much worried or concerned with, with enumerating all of the ways that he's suffered, but he, he does want us to recognize that that affliction resulted in their comfort. Once again, we cannot escape the recognition that the comfort that Paul's talking about here is gospel comfort. The comfort that is theirs is the truth of the gospel that He's proclaimed to them, and which, by God's grace, they have believed. So, Christ, so Paul is seeing a connection between his affliction and their comfort, an inseparable connection between these two things. And then he says, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. What is he talking about here? Look at what he says, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. As Paul suffers for the sake of the gospel, and they are comforted by believing this gospel and, and receiving the comfort of the gospel, they too are to turn and share that gospel with those who are in need. And when they do, they will be afflicted. What is their comfort in the midst of that affliction? It's that same gospel comfort that they received from Paul when he declared the word to them. And if Paul has been comforted in his afflictions, they too will certainly be comforted in their afflictions. Paul expresses this hope for them. He says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. 
Let's pause here for a moment. Already Paul, and this is, this is an uncharacteristic opening for Paul. Uh, Paul ordinarily will follow the, uh, that, that blessing in verse 3 with a description of a prayer that he's, he prays for this community. Here, though, he launches right into these themes of affliction and comfort. Paul knows that the Corinthian Christians live in a place where it is exceedingly difficult to believe and to proclaim the gospel without suffering for it. And he wants them to know this is the nature of the Christian life. I, I don't believe that the truth we're reading here is only limited to the suffering we experience when we share the gospel, but it cannot be less than that. And I worry that we have so sanitized the text. We don't suffer and I'm generalizing here, there may be exceptions in the room, but I will tell you, most American evangelical Christians do not suffer the way Paul has suffered. And I don't mean to the degree that he suffered. I mean in the kind. Very few of us share the gospel, and because of that, we don't suffer for it. The comfort that is held out here is a comfort for all kinds of affliction, but it is comfort no less for the affliction we suffer in sharing the gospel. One of the things I struggle with in passages like this, if I'm completely transparent, is it's, it's difficult to get worked up because I've suffered so little in my life. And there, are all, there, there are various kinds of suffering, even in our own congregation. We do suffer things. But Paul, this, this matters so much to Paul and to his audience because Paul and the Corinthians are sharing the gospel in a context where they suffer for it. And I don't think we're sharing the gospel and nobody around us cares so we don't suffer. I, I think in this day and age, right here in Nashville, Tennessee, if we were to vocally share the gospel, if we, if we were to be insistent in sharing the gospel, we would suffer affliction. I won't, for the sake of, uh, of his modesty, because he would not want me to uh, tell you who I'm talking about, but we have a member in our church who does consistently share the gospel, and he has stories of being mistreated for sharing the gospel. You don't have to go very far, try very hard, if we would just tell others about Christ. We would suffer the affliction Paul is talking about here, and if we did, it would mean so much more to us to receive the promise of the comfort that's held out in the midst of this affliction. It's difficult to, to read what Paul is saying here and understand it as any other kind of suffering than the suffering that comes with sharing the gospel. He suffers for the sake of others. It is a suffering he shares with Christ, he says. Paul's, Paul's talking about an experience of the Christian life, and I would simply encourage you to ask yourself, has this been your experience? And if not, why not? And if it's because you're not sharing the gospel, then perhaps that needs to change. And I say this, listen, I've had to preach this sermon to myself first, okay? I am with you in this. It's something that we don't do well. I'm excited about the months to come. I'm excited about the work that ruling elder Billy King is going to be doing in our midst. Uh, I'm encouraged by it. I'm looking forward to it. And I hope 
that it will be a work that God uses in the life of our church to equip us and to, to move us to share the gospel with a lost and dying world around us. Paul closes, we've, uh, we've, we've seen that comfort comes from God. We've seen that, uh, that comfort is given to us in measure according to our affliction. In these last verses, Paul calls us to participate in this suffering. It's already an implicit call in the verses we've read. That is, if, if we will be out sharing the gospel as Paul is sharing the gospel, we should expect such affliction and God will meet it with this comfort. But he calls them to participate in another way here in these closing verses. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So now he's talking about his very specific affliction in a very specific time and place. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Before we look at that last verse, Paul now gives us one of the reasons that we suffer affliction. Not only does God meet us in our affliction but one of the reasons that we suffer affliction, one of the purposes God has for that affliction in our lives is to teach us not to rely upon ourselves. I know this because it's been in my own head, uh, and I suspect it's true of many of you, but when we think about the idea of telling others about Jesus Christ, one of the, the voices that raises up in our heads is, I can't do it. I'm not capable of doing this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm going to make a mess of this. This person's probably going to love Jesus even less after they hear from me, right? I am going to really mess this up. The encouragement we get from Paul here is that we do not rely on ourselves. We have the promise of God that when we engage in this, when we will just tell others the simple truth of the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us, it is the Spirit of God in the telling of that truth that accomplishes God's purposes. Affliction taught Paul not to rely on himself, but on God. Notice who raises the dead. Another indication that the affliction he's talking about here is a gospel affliction. They can even kill us in the telling of the gospel, but God will on the last day raise us up. And then finally this evening, look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You, you have to be a bit of a student of Paul to notice it here, but when Paul says, for the blessing granted us, uh, in this context, in Pauline language, he's talking about conversions. Pray for us, Paul says, so that many will give thanks on our behalf. Who are the many giving thanks? They are the very ones who are the blessing granted to Paul. That is, pray for us that the work we are engaged in, the proclamation of the gospel, will result in conversions, which then result in thanksgiving to God. And by what means has this been accomplished? Paul says, by your prayers. We could do a whole series on prayer, we have in the past, uh, 
Listen, prayer is a means by which God ordinarily accomplishes His purposes in the world. Our prayers matter. God is at work in the prayers of His people, and Paul calls them to partner with Him. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. This is the result. Paul says it even in in, in a fuller way uh, in another one of his letters. This is is the the logic, if you will. This is the, the unfolding, the chronology of the work of sharing the gospel is that the gospel is shared, the Spirit of God is at work in the preaching and the the proclamation of that gospel so that the dead are brought to life and having been brought to life, they give thanks and praise to God. And this is our goal. There are so many motives. We ought to be sharing the gospel because we love the people around us. We ought to be sharing the gospel because it it shows God to be glorious and we love God and we want to glorify God. And in the end, Paul says, what this results in, if we say this results in the conversion of an unbeliever, we would be speaking the truth, but we will have stopped short of where this ends. This ends in the praise of God. Thanksgiving to God. And it's, I, I think Paul has in mind at least a temporal thanksgiving, a recognition on the part of those who are hearing the gospel and believing and, and giving thanks even as they believe this. We see this happen in Acts chapter 13, for example, where the Gentiles in the synagogue hear the good news of the gospel, and it says that they rejoiced and went out with thanksgiving. But there's an even greater end because, you see, everyone who hears the gospel and believes will stand on that last day before the throne of God as John pictures in Revelation and will sing hosannas to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come will be on the lips of those who have heard this gospel and believed it from Paul and from the Corinthians and from all saints. And our prayers are a part of how God is accomplishing that work in the world. We've, we've got a lot of reasons that we use. Uh, excuses is probably a better word for them for not sharing the gospel, for not taking advantage of the opportunities we have to tell others about Christ. Paul is, is reducing the validity of those excuses as we unpack 2 Corinthians Are you worried about affliction? Don't worry about affliction. God will meet it with all of the comfort that is needed in the midst of that affliction. Do you think you're not up to it? Uh, Don't worry, you're not. Thanks be to God that He is. And He's at work in our fumbling, weak efforts to tell others about Christ. Do you think it can't it can't work, it can't be effective. There, this person I have the opportunity to tell about Christ would never believe the gospel. By the power of prayer, God can bring anyone to life that He chooses. And all of this, when we will obediently engage and it results in thanksgiving to God. Now, this is the work to which we've been called, brothers and sisters. And I don't say all of this this evening to shame you. Uh, or to shame myself, but rather to motivate us, to encourage us, to embolden us. 
Whatever reasons we may have for not sharing, they're not good enough. God has made all provision. And so we need to go out into the world with boldness and tell others about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Paul. We thank you that Paul has modeled for us and that Paul himself learned this from Christ who modeled it for him. That suffering is a part of the work to which you have called us. So much so that if we are not suffering, it is a valid question whether or not we are faithfully about the work. Father, if we are not, we pray that you would open our eyes. We pray that you would, uh, as the psalmist describes his own sense of his sin, that you would crush our bones within us, that our hearts would melt that we would not know peace until in obedience we cry out the truth about the finished work of Jesus Christ to any who will hear and listen. Father, we pray that you would do this work in us. Equip us for it. Embolden us for it. Father, we pray that where we are obedient and experience affliction, that we would know your comfort. We pray that we would go about the work not relying upon our own abilities, our own power to accomplish it. Father, we pray that we would be in prayer for those who are engaged in it and that as we engage in it, others would pray for us and that the prayers of the saints would rise up to the throne room and that by means of these prayers, you would be at work in the world and in your people to accomplish your purposes in the world. We pray that you would do all of this, Father, for us, for your kingdom and ultimately for your glory, that there would be thanksgiving given for eternity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.